Hello and welcome to another episode of Thinking Critically, a D&D discussion. A podcast where we take a single word or topic and discuss what it means within the D&D 5e and wider TTRPG framework. Each episode, I'm joined by a different guest to dissect a different topic. And today, I'm joined by Matthew Perkins. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, Matt. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, mate, thank you so much for having me. My name is Matthew Perkins. I do a bunch of silly stuff over on YouTube, sometimes on Twitch. It's all Dungeon Master advice. It's all Dungeons and Dragons adjacent content. But generally, I'm on there just being silly, trying to make you laugh. I've got a green screen uh, and I put myself in wacky situations. At the moment, I'm covering Storm King's Thunder, doing the most extensive guide you can possibly get on Storm King's Thunder. Uh, but I've also got guides up there for Lost Minds of Fandelver. Uh, and all my stuff, you can find all my stuff over at matthewperkins.net. That's right, I couldn't afford .com. I'm too cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think, maybe fortunate that I've got .co.uk. I'm not sure whether just maybe .co.uk domains are, like, dirt cheap anyway, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, today's topic is pressure. So what does that mean to you within the D&D and wider TTRPG framework? Oh, you're putting it on me. You're putting the pressure on me now. This is what it means. Oh, God, the irony. Oh, so, so much stress, so much stress. No, oh, I'm, I'm joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So pressure for me in a Dungeons & Dragons kind of setting has two, two kind of layers. In the same way that the game has two layers. Pressure can exist on a meta level or it could exist on a narrative level. And what I mean by that is... Dungeons and Dragons is super duper stressful. Think about it. You're up there performing, being silly in front of your friends. They're all looking to you, expecting all of this story to come out of your mouth and mind. And uh, they're just coming to be entertained. And that's a little bit of pressure. And then on the narrative level, the characters need to be put under pressure for a narrative to, to work, really. It's about that conflict. Mm-hmm. It's about that stress. And it's about how the characters react to that stress. Which one, which one of those, like, did resonates most with you when when you suggested hey let's let's talk about pressure what what were you thinking <laughs> um well let's let's i think that's a really good way to delineate it and really cuts it down the middle quite nicely so let's start with what you finished on then as it's, as it's most fresh in our minds of of narrative pressure then for the uh for the in, it's in game rather than meta pressure which is a, a term i've now just coined and will now trademark um so uh <laughs> so in terms of uh kind of the, the pressure on the player characters back in all the way back in season one episode one actually the, the opening episode of this podcast is titled conflict and within the first five minutes of that we said there's often you know 99 times out of 100 there's some kind of conflict that's driving the players and i think a synonym for that is pressure there's, there's something pushing the player's forward to or the characters excuse me forward to do something but i wanted to talk about it more from a dm's perspective today in terms of like how can you apply that pressure sensibly you know uh mm-hmm. like uh, with, mm-hmm. with enough sensitivity i guess in a way that isn't too kind of overbearing and then the, the other side of the same coin is how can you effectively communicate some kind of existential threat some existential pressure to the player's in a way that makes them want to work together. And I want to tie that into like session one, you will meet in a tavern. Like how can you get this ragtag group of people to be like, put? you need to push them in a certain direction, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look, I don't have the perfect solution 
well, to literally anything. I only have imperfect solutions to everything, but I tell you what, they, they bloody well work. <laughs> they work every time sometimes. So whenever I'm trying to impart a sense of pressure onto the players, right? Because it's not necessarily, I don't need to make the characters feel the pressure. If, the, if it was a perfect fiction... Mm-hmm. And the fiction of the game was perfectly described. Like imagine if it was in high def detail and it was being um, it was being rendered, you know, on a Peter Jackson movie or something. The characters would look stressed in every situation. They're literally <laughs> fighting ungodly blobs yes. in dungeons. That's a, yeah. that's a hard job. But you just need to try, kind of translate that pressure from the characters to the uh, the players, so that they understand those stakes and they can respond correctly to any kind of stimuli from the game. Mm. And I do that by telling them the stakes. A lot of dungeon masters tend to be like a little bit um, sneaky with their their information about like what the stakes are. So that in their head, they might be saying, mm-hmm. all right, in this story, in this story, there's a lich and he's raising an, an undead army, okay? If the players don't, you know, meet the right people and, and stop him, oh, then the world's going to end. Oh, no, Right. But they go, oh, well, the players are level one. They don't have any access to this kind of information yet. They have to find it out. And then if they don't find it out, you go, well, does the world end now? You know, was it really a meaningful kind of pressure or a meaningful kind Mm. of stakes if the players were never even aware of the threat? So I will just, so many times, I just completely lift the veil on my side, (laughs) on my side of the Dungeon Master screen and tell the players, hey, dudes, uh, so this one's, there's a lich out there and he's going to raise some dead, uh, and it's totally going to end everything. Picture everything you love. Oof, all gone, all gone in, a, in an instant. Uh, so you're <laughs> going to have to stop him. And that's kind of like taking the, the, knocking the legs out of like the, the narrative, you know, we're not doing that fun exposition, but the players know what's at stake and knowing that that'll be in their mind. You just mm-hmm. have to make sure the players know what's at stake. And that's important for me with pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree and can talk from experience on that and that I was that archetypical DM you described. Like, you kind of, you're, you're precious, you're holding your cards to your chest, you you, you, you know, you feel under under yeah. pressure to be like, I need to deliver this grand story full of twists and turns and, you know, double crossings mm-hmm. and backstabbings and stuff. But then what, what that means when, when you pair that with, as you said, like the adventurers are level one and are little babies and don't know anything and, and are not even known in their own cities... You pair those two things yes. together, you're left with, I don't know why I'm adventuring, DM, and I feel a bit lost. And that that is, you know, and then, and then that leads to things like, or can lead to things like murder hoboism. It can lead to things like, I'm just going to keep long resting one mm-hmm. after the other because I'm I've got... Sl- I'm going to sleep through the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it is like, right? There's so, so many... In fact, every game I've been in like with a new group of people there's always been at least one or two that are like well we'll just long rest like pushing the first the moment they can is pushing 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 for a long rest and i'm Mm -hmm. unfortunate Mm -hmm. that i've got often i'll have one or two players that are very much aligned with me and are like no we can't just we can't just go to sleep here in the middle of the kobold den because they can kill us while we sleep yeah um or you know even at higher levels where they've got things like uh lehman's tiny hut you know where you can just kind of make a little safe space for you i love that spell because it's really you know super focused and elegant solution to the problem of like it does one thing and it does it yeah fucking well (laughs) like i'm gonna make a safe space it's here or mordenkainen's airbnb like 
They're yes. just they're just <laughs> there to like give the players a rest. Hey, have you ever? I haven't. I'm about to ask a question when I haven't even seen the movie, but I'm gonna pretend I've seen it. Have you seen uh, that movie Crank with the bull the bull guy Crank? Do you know that one? Uh, Jason Statham, uh, the, the, a treasure yes. of the UK. Uh- <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is he is he English? I didn't realize. Yeah, he's um, he's he's like proper Cockney gangster 101. He's he's oh, the dude. Wow, yeah. he's in the room with us. It's beautiful. Um, so t- for people that haven't seen it, that movie is about. Okay, I'm going to sum it up badly. This dude has a disease, and he will die if his adrenaline falls below a certain amount. So, and he's looking. He's trying to mm-hmm. solve a, a mystery or something. Who? Hey, who cares what he's doing? This dude's going to die if he doesn't do crazy mm-hmm. stuff. So he's literally trying to accomplish this goal, but at the same time, he always has to, you know, do something that's going to frighten him or excite (laughs) him. So he's talking to gangsters and he goes, even though we're his friends, he pulls guns on them because he's like, oh, I just have to do this to get my adrenaline up. And that guy can't stop for a long rest. It doesn't matter if he has an Airbnb. He has something that's compelling him to move on. And that is a Mm. very kind of contrived kind of pressure, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, that's not it's not quite a cult classic, but it is renowned for its silliness uh, in, in a more positive light. I think isn't it doesn't isn't there one scene where he's like having mad sex because he's just like, well, this is this is the way I can do it now is keeping my adrenaline up. Uh, <laughs> I think whoever whichever now, writer I will remind you, I haven't seen it, but I'll say yes, oh. that scene does exist. <laughs> whoever writer came up with a with a, the contrivance that led to that scene is a hero in, in my book. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm fully subscribed. <laughs> Whoever wrote that movie, I reckon they were just going, let's do speed, but like it's somebody's heart. Cool. Yeah. Print it. Here's, <laughs> That's a, it. here's a lot of That's money. The pitch. Done. It's 20 million pounds. Go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, so my, uh, it, it's especially with the lower level characters, but like my current campaign, they are or have been, there have been moments where they haven't felt pressured to to do to do something and again i'm lucky that one player is both in as a player and as his character are very much like no i i know something bad's gonna happen and i don't want that to happen so i'm gonna galvanize the rest of them to be like nope we're going come on come on stop dicking around can't just sit here and talk about the flowers for four days because something bad might is is gonna happen but as i said i'm lucky he's doing that because i haven't given them as much as I should have done, really. I, I, it is still very much a mystery 60 sessions in, which mm-hmm. is kind of stupid when I say it <laughs> in in hard facts like that. <laughs> on, hey, I didn't mean to come on here and accidentally unravel you, you know? I think your campaign's <laughs> really cool. And do you know what, Dan? I'm, let me, let me I'm just message them you. and tell them it's over. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. Hey, Rip, F's in the chat, please. F's in the chat for the... Uh, yeah, the campaign. Yeah. Matt told me my campaign sucks. Uh, it's cancelled, boys. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, that really comes down to something. Like you were, you were talking about, you mentioned choices there a little bit. And like, mm-hmm. there's something at stake that we're going to lose something. This bad thing is going to happen. Sometimes choices don't feel meaningful for players. And I, I feel it's a dungeon master's job to make sure mm. those choices are meaningful. Like when I put two or three options in front of the players, no matter what they choose, it's going to advance drama in some way, in some aspect. And it doesn't matter what I planned. It just matters that the result is there's some kind of knock-on effect. Like I did this, I did this thing in the Lost Minds of Fandelver in my series of um, guides. 
and I called it twisting the knife. Like whenever you give somebody um, a choice, right? You go, so I have the, the black spider mm-hmm. who is the, the villain of that campaign interacting with the party very early talking to them so that they, they have a relationship. So it's not just like um, two strangers fighting each other in the parking lot right at the end of the campaign. And she wants something that the party has. She goes, oh, I will come to you and I will, I will trade for this. Um, and I'll meet you at midnight on this night to trade for this thing. I'll give, give you anything you want. And literally, I, as a dungeon master, whatever the party asks for, I just go, yep, the, the black spider can get you that. And she will give it to you, you know, so it is worthwhile. And when that option mm-hmm. is in front of them, I go, okay, uh, somebody else approaches you. Like, and I look at somebody that they care about in the town. Uh, and I've, I've come up with like two or three different options um, for different NPCs, different problems they could have. Like maybe the nun, the, the sister Garel, she comes up to them and says, hey, I'm being haunted by this visions of a banshee out in the woods. And she says um, that she's going to, she's going to take, my, uh, take my whole body and take my life. And then she reveals, I've actually gone, I can't see, I've gone blind. You know, the stakes are real. She's taken my sight. Mm. Um, please, you have to, you have to stop it. I'm so worried that I'm going to die. I'm so, I don't want to die. And like begging them, right? So then the party has a choice. Do we want to go to sister, go to the, this banshee and, and save our friend, sister Gorel, if they have a good relationship with her, or do we want to go and keep our deadline with the black spider and go, go meet her? So there's the choice, right? No matter what they choose, the other one gets kind of advanced a notch in as far as severity, as far as like pressure mm-hmm. on the party. For example, if they decide not to meet the black spider, then she's going to stalk them and ambush them the next time that they are weakened. So I would wait until the next time they have half of their resources gone. I would wait until mm-hmm. they're taking a long, uh, like a short rest or a long rest. I'd say it gets interrupted. The black spider comes in yeah. and I would be totally willing to kill one of the party members because then they would draw a direct line between them not meeting with her and them yeah. losing John, the, the dickhead barbarian. Um, on the other hand, if they do go and meet um, the Black Spider, then Sister Gorel is now a different character. They go back to town. It's actually Agatha the Banshee possessing her body, and she is evil, and she's completely taken over her personality, and in 24 hours, she leaves town, and she's just gone. You know? And that's... The players yeah. know the stakes, pretty much, because they know they're going to make the Black Spider angry. They know that Sister Gorel is in serious danger of dying. They get a choice... And depending on their choice, no matter what, I'm going to put more pressure on them. I'm going to give them interesting consequences, you know, kind of, the kind of consequences that maybe they would mm-hmm. go, oh, cool. I'm glad that happened to me. So they don't feel like they're losing. No. They feel like they're getting drama in the form of a dead dickhead barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, you, um, do you twist the knife like that with kind of... Um, a dichotomy of, of choices and then we we make the the one you don't pick kind of come back to bite you <laughs> yeah i i attempt to perhaps not so um a bit more labored i would guess is the way to put it um before i answer that question though, i wanted to give an example of an anecdote i have mentioned before of um oh, please, uh, yeah. when you when you mentioned one of the characters dying there i was very 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 lucky in a way uh in the first like five sessions or not one of the players said Dan Lowe, I don't want to. I want to bow out in some way. It's not. It's not actually for me. I've got. It takes t- too much time. Uh, t- so totally cool. Let's work together on uh, some way we can remove you. And I said, actually, I've got something planned that's going to be fucking perfect. Um, and they were about to bump into the the Lich as the big bad in my campaign. Funnily enough, uh, and he was like, mm-hmm. "You guys, uh, ants to me. I don't care about you. 
I'm just going to send some stupid minions after you because you're not even worth my time. Peace out. And he disappears away, um, which is what I had planned. But because my player wanted to leave, I was like, Lich is no power word kill. Boom. He's dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, it, it, he's dead. And they kind of had a weird, again, like a meta reveal. because they're like, oh, that character's dead. And also the player was like, yeah, I'm actually also leaving. Uh, so it really galvanized them then at that point to be like, ah, okay, this guy A is super powerful that he can kill us with a flick of his wrist, but also he's actually, he, he did actually kill a person in front of us <laughs> that we were otherwise mm-hmm. friends with. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what would have been, what would have been like really next level if you had have killed your friend in real life at that point? <laughs> you know? Yeah, he cast power word kill. Bang! All right. Nobody <laughs> call the cops. Anybody calls the cops, you're going to lose a level. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is like four dimensional D at that point <laughs> and you're going straight to prison yeah yeah i mean hey there's probably you got a lot of spare time in your hands you can make a banging campaign uh during the incarcerate you, a banging camp here's the thing i asked you if you twist the knife in your campaign and like now we're talking about you shooting the gun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah literally in that case the gun but so, so to, to answer your question um yeah there's often it's often less set up by me ahead of time more just the the their the results of their actions so it's uh, I, I try and make things quite freeform quite sandbox you know all the all the things you read all the things you learn as you're trying to become a better dm is it's wait 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 i gotta i gotta i gotta know what the hell this word means did you just say you make it quite sad box oh sand sandbox sandbox okay because i oh man i wanted to know about the sad box the sad, so everybody get in Sorry, the sad I've box interrupted, please <laughs> get in the sad box the barbarian's dead i shot him uh sorry go, so ahead, you, go ahead no no it's all right so so usually there's like like um here's a setup like here's a setup that i think a thing that's happening and the players have to approach it and investigate and, and get to the end of the thing how they so fit there isn't really like a I haven't planned how they're going to do that. There's just a problem and they are the people who solve that problem. And then I just, uh, you know, uh, reward them for solving it in inventive ways. That's how I attempt to approach it. Mm -hmm. So usually because of that approach, there are ways when they have some unforeseen outcomes that they might not be aware of just due to their kind of chaotic outcome. So I had set up a, a really binary like they go to a town, there is a dispute happening, like a civil dispute between a group of like blue collar miners, the union, and a group of like druidic traveling people who are like, no, respect nature. Don't use explosions to do your mining because you're going to ruin nature. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, they're my people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go vegan. I love it. <laughs> and then the miners are like, no, we, we need to mine because otherwise people are going to go hungry and people are going to die if we don't have like the economy of the town. So I, I did set that up as like a, here you go, guys, this is an interesting, you know, moral quandary for you. Do you want to support the town, but maybe through unethical means? Or do you want to be, you know, the, the hippies essentially, but at the cost of humanoid life? You know, where do you draw the line in the sand? Uh, they abstained from picking, of course, which ultimately mm-hmm. resulted in the civil war, you know, escalating to open conflict, basically. Uh, and they left the town. Mm-hmm with explosions and fires <laughs> and they were just like okay we're, we're done here not our problem yeah so that that i need to think of a way to like tie that in to do as you suggested like to bite them in the ass later on to be like this is this is the result of your actions because of your inact your inactions in fact i, I will add an asterisk to that advice because i don't want anyone to misunderstand me it's if you're ever trying to do something like this and have like a negative consequence happen 
you don't ever want it to be like, there should be no way that it could be construed as a punitive situation. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. got to be the kind of drama where they go like, oh, that was rad. Oh, now I've got an arm off. This is awesome. I'm going to get a hook, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're excited about it or something. Yeah. Like, oh, I just love that kind of thing. I love it, man. But this is all kind of like on a on a bigger, this is a bigger story beats, right? Do you ever like use pressure mm-hmm. in a smaller kind of micro uh, way? Like, for example, do you use timers? Do you ever go, all right, guys, start a five minute timer. I'm not going to tell you what it does. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. So uh, great minds. Cause one of my notes is about you know, high pressure situations in game, like using a timer. So no, I don't, I do, I do funnily enough, I do have a, a one minute egg timer uh, up here, which I was actually going to use for combat turns, mm-hmm. which is actually oddly didn't make it into my notes, but it's actually a really good thing to talk about. So we'll talk about that later on. Um, but uh, in kind of like outside of combat things, I don't, I've never gone to the length of, timing them to like the second but usually i'll be like you have to make a decision now or i'm going to you do the dodge action or something happens like I, i'm you just just usually me being mm-hmm. like guys you need to give me a decision now or and they usually like, uh we're doing this and that that's usually what it takes to get them to, to to make a decision uh when there's been those cases but uh probably not as much as i should really because i think it Again, it's one of those things, you know, moderation, obviously, but it's still one of those things that can lead to quite interesting, like, regretted decisions in game of being like, shit, why did you do that? Well, we had no time, so... (laughs) And, like, sometimes sometimes when you're in that situation, like, uh, I will will clarify, I um, want to use timers. I feel quite romantic about timers. Like, they seem like really Mm -hmm. uh, a core staple of the, the hobby and the medium. Um, I don't find opportunity to use them as often, mainly because I don't want to use a digital timer and I don't have any big timers. Like if I had like a big um, egg timer that was five minutes or 10, like a yes. massive thing that I could just chonk down on the table, yeah. oh, baby, woof. Oh, light me up, time me down, baby. This is great. But I just <laughs> don't have that kind of stuff, so I don't use it very much. Uh-huh. But, 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 I find that the decisions that people would make under those kind of situations, I reckon you would learn a lot about your character and mm. yourself as a player when you go, oh man, what does my character really care about? Am I going to save this person or save that person? I've only got a minute to make a decision. Oh no, you know, and um, it, <laughs> this is stupid. It kind of feels like Mass Effect. There are so many decisions where it's like, <laughs> are you oh, going to send a little timer Ashley on the screen. Williams to yeah. here or there? Yeah. I don't know if they do a timer, but it feels like those kind of same decisions. Those feel like split. Wait, yeah. do they do timers? I can't remember. Okay. They might. Cool. Yeah, I mean, like Mass I Effect think, then. I take it all back. Yeah. It's, it's been ages since I played Mass Effect. I need to play the Legendary Edition. But in fact, I've just finished playing Firewatch with my partner. And every response in that game has got a little timer bar next to it. So that's why it's fresh in my memory yeah. of those kind of things. Yeah. Did you learn anything about your character by because of the timer in that game? Like, did you, like, the way that you feel about your character, did it change? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, I agree exactly, and that's why the more you're explaining it here, the more I'm annoyed that I haven't introduced more of those elements into my game to my players. Because I think you're absolutely right, and that it's that like I ha- like I have to make a call, and I'm going on gut instinct. But when you're already like two hours into role play, you you can be fairly mm. certain as a DM that the players are making that gut call as a their character rather than some obscure meta reason. Mm. So yeah, I, I do want to introduce those more. I'm now just thinking of ways off the top of my head as we speak now to do them, like in my campaign on my session on Tuesday here. Yeah. 
Yeah, now you're you only going to text him again and say, "All right, guys, campaign's back on." Sorry about earlier. Sorry. <laughs> bring about your what bring Matt your watches. Said. <laughs> <laughs> bring your watches. <laughs> that site that I um, got my little um, one minute egg timer from. Actually, they do they do do bigger ones. Uh, like I think up to five, maybe even ten Ooh. minutes. And they are they are chunky and they're like you know antique style yeah. ones. And I maybe maybe yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a bit of an investment for you know some contrived sometimes thing i'm I'm forcing into the game <laughs> yeah the 10 minute one is for if you like want to absolutely ruin an egg if you want to make an egg into an <laughs> inedible stone get this big boy we're going to cook it into <laughs> into dark matter baby I, I will add like a little caveat to this whole conversation about pressure inside on a story level is that it's a sometimes food you know what i mean it's like it's it's a mm. sometimes food because if you are putting your characters, your, your players under constant stress and constant pressure, mm-hmm. like that's that's not variety. That's not um, that's not no. particularly enjoyable, and that they might start to dread playing. You know, I think it's important to mm-hmm. break up your campaign with sometimes like just some light shopping episodes or the beach episode, or yep. like j- just something. Do your pressure in small bursts. Make sure that there is a reward or a payoff or some kind of like, if you have a dissonant chord on your piano, you need it to resolve, you know, and it need your pressure needs to have a resolution for your players to feel complete with mm-hmm. it and to be able to kind of reconcile their feelings about whatever you've just done to them, you evil dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's, that's absolutely right. Like every form of medium, be it audio, you know, music or whatnot, there's always the breathing space there's always even roller coasters have the downs before they have the ups right so every every book every film action films even crank will have quiet scenes where he's at least talking to somebody uh (laughs) i hope so what if there was no dialogue in this movie (laughs) so you know that 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 is great advice and and i wanted to look back briefly and just incorporate what you said about not making them punitive measures in terms of you know any kind of outcomes and I'm a huge proponent of everything makes sense in universe. Like everything is congruent and, and remains sensible in, in the universe game. So I would never, never have like, if they made a stupid decision, I wouldn't try and ham, you know, crowbar in some stupid punitive measure just because they've made a stupid decision. If, if the stupid decision was actually just kind of in isolation and doesn't impact anything else, then maybe nothing happens. It's just, they just have to live with embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, you'll have to have me back sometime so that we can argue about that statement of like having consistency and making sense in universe. Oh, dog, I don't care about the universe. Let's let's mess it oh. up. I don't care about it at all. Literally the only thing I care about is that my players are like having a great time. And I'm sure that your players are having a good time as well, mm-hmm. but I will literally sacrifice anything for it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let, me, let, me, let me let me rephrase. So like, I mean, like suddenly pigs aren't going to start flying tomorrow because just because someone oh. sneezed somewhere like unless someone cast i mean i could have someone mm. cast a magic spell somewhere that turns all pigs into flying creatures maybe but when i mean you know a pint of ale costs a pint and it's the same price broadly across the continent you know that that's why i mean uh you know that suddenly like oh okay not just as i said like i, I i'm quite responsive to their actions but it, it all makes makes sense in universe. Like there's not like now you everybody walks on their hands, like <laughs> yeah. But hey, here's the thing: 
you just described, like, if there's a disease that makes people walk on their hands, man, oh, that's <laughs> got a little bit of juice on. Like, that would mess up your digestive tract. That would, like, all the blood rushing <laughs> to your head. People would be passing out all the time. Shoes wouldn't fit anymore. Yep. Like, this is interesting story building that you're doing. And, like, I'm worrying, I'm worried that you're depriving your players of the hand walking <laughs> as it would come to be known colloquially. This is some nice workshopping that we're doing now. Uh, and I've just got this. It's almost like a horror film-esque. I imagine they, they're rocking up to a town, like a settlement, and everybody's just kind of like lolloping, yeah. shambling out of their of their houses. And that's pretty freaky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know, it doesn't necessarily sound exactly like a horror film, but it sounds like the kind of horror film that somebody would write and try and ship around and get made. And they're like going to every producer trying to get <laughs> this story made. So, hey, hey, I'm pitching you on something right now dan okay put your producer hat Mm. on because i'm going to ask you for a lot of money to make this happen so here's the campaign (laughs) it's a short form campaign maybe only like two or three episodes long and the framing device for the campaign is that it all takes place inside this failed writer's script and their script is about this disease that makes (laughs) people walk on their hands in a fantasy setting okay And every session is slightly different because he's taken it to a different producer who's given him different show notes. Like, I think it would be better if Megan Fox was the lead actress. I was like, I I think, well, dinosaurs are in right now. We should have dinosaurs in this script. And he keeps on compromising his vision every time. And you start every session by describing this crap writer going because somehow bamboozling his way into a different producer's office and the players just have to adjust with this ever-changing poorly written world and i'm sure i'm sure that they would play into it and like start doing cheesy dialogue and looking into the camera yeah for sure <laughs> yeah yeah oh, yeah the looks of the camera yeah 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 that they, they were popular back in like the early 2000s so we're gonna we're gonna do that with like ti- time travel like time manipulation is fun <laughs> now so put a time loop in there uh <laughs> the different different theming uh, anyway everybody this episode is about pressure <laughs> <laughs> the, the different theming would be so fun though to play out how, how different the stories would eventually play out just because you're going for like a transformers style versus a Maltese falcon oh. style <laughs> and 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 here's here's another thing that i would do um after the players understood the conceit of that campaign and that story if we had three players and we would do four sessions, right? First session, I set up the mm-hmm. premise where everybody knows the rules of this kind of universe and like they all understand the framing device. For the second session, I would get one of the other players to role play as the producer that the guy goes to and have to give me notes. And so they would be like, <laughs> you're, you're not really in? Frozen's in right now. Can you put an ice witch in here? Maybe it's all frozen, okay? <laughs> There's got to be singing in this one. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I can only imagine the chaos that would ensue. Uh, <laughs> uh, bad ideas. Bad ideas all around. Bad idea podcast. Welcome uh, to the spin-off show, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, want, I was going to say, I want, I want to talk about one more one more thing before we segue into the, the other half of the show, which was around meta pressure, as I've coined it. So we, we've talked about the different kinds of, of pressure that players c- can be under like micro macro existential personal uh in, in broad strokes i, I want to talk about like ways to communicate maybe like this this larger pressure like the world ending kind of pressure without because i you know I, as i said i'm struggling a little bit maybe uh, without it being too kind of like served up on a plate 
and obviously you're at the end of the the other extreme of, of you know kind of opening the you know behind the scenes almost so there must be some kind of you know middle of the bell curve middle ground there for like how how can i effectively convey some compelling threat to the players that pushes them into action look i am not going to give you an answer that you like i'm pretty firmly in like the reason that i'm in my camp of like being as open as i can with the players Mm -hmm. about my story and about the way the game works and game mechanics and like what i'm doing and what i'm thinking and what my plans are is that what i do is i make them complicit in the fun that we're having right and when I get them on my side, on my side of going like, let's make this story really fun by giving them all the tools and the information they need to make it fun. I, instead of just being my one brain at the session, trying to work stuff out, we've got five brains and their, their brains, even though they're players, Oh, I'm a player. Oh, oh look at me rolling dice. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're always saying that, but they're, they're silly, right? But there's still more of them and they're going to have, they're going to have mm. good ideas. So if they're, if you're saying I want a solution to, communicate threat and pressure onto the players without outright telling them what that is. I think that every other way, and I'm this is a blanket statement that could be easily proven wrong, I suppose. Yeah. But I, I'd say that every other way I'd presume is gonna be less effective of a communication tool than than just telling them. Because then suddenly you're relying mm-hmm. on the players picking up on your hints. And I don't know about you, Dan. I don't know about you, but my players, they don't know what a hint is. They, mm-hmm. It's kind of like Westworld. They <laughs> see the word hint and they go, doesn't look like anything to me. Yep. <laughs> yep. They can't spell it. Doesn't look like anything to me. There's a, there's a bloody knife sticking out of that person's back. Doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably did that. They probably did that to that person. Like, can, can you give me an example of like, what what have you done? So you have this threat of a lich, you said in your campaign, yeah. um, and the way you demonstrated that that, that is, they are a real threat as like uh, an antagonist and a powerful enemy is that you had them completely murderize, um, do a war crime to one of your one of your players. But mm. how how have you communicated the threat of the lich's plan? Because I'm presuming that the plan is to block out the sun or something. So some despicable act, yes. Uh, and, and the very quick and short answer to your question is not at all, which is why I'm having this trouble. <laughs> so, like... Yeah, just tell them, tell them, just tell them. Yeah, so they, 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 they know he's after a number of powerful MacGuffins, magic items, artifacts, armor, relics, that kind of stuff. They know that he's after that and that they are in a race against time to beat him to those items. Uh, and that's pretty much it at the moment. They, they can only assume that he's after them for some nefarious reasons. Now... I do have some plans in my head about his reasons that I don't want to go into too much detail on, but I do want to, I do want to communicate. uh, Like I I had planned for it to happen at the last time they went to their kind of like NPC confidant, but um, because players are players, they went about it in some ask before face way and they didn't have that opportunity. So uh, (laughs) they didn't, they didn't get that chance, but uh, maybe at the end of this arc, they'll they'll sit down with somebody uh, and, and somebody will say like, you know, I can make an educated guess as to what the Lich is attempting to do with these magical items. It's probably bad. It's probably mm. feels like it might do this, that, or the other. End all mm. life as we know it. But then my, or shall I say, the Lich's interpretation of ending all life as we know it will be quite different to that of 
somebody else, and that's all I'll say on the matter. So I've got I've got a little bit of a, a li- oh, little bit of spice, oh, quite mysterious, a oh. little bit of spice on that. Um, so yeah, I, I think I just need someone to be like he, he he can't just do power word kill on one person. He can also do a whole bunch of other horrible stuff that is probably not great for everybody yeah. who lives here. Pat power word shit yourself. <laughs> um, he look, I do have something to to help you. Then if you're saying that. Okay, I had I had a little seed out there in the world that the players could have found, and I presumed that they would have found found it, but they went to the wrong place. And you said earlier that you run mm-hmm. a pretty strong um, sad box. I mean, sandbox game. Sad so box, yeah. I think that what you need to do, yeah, this oh, oh, the sad box. Um, I think what you might need to do <laughs> is um, incorporate some of the railroad in the sense of like, yeah, you've got your sandbox game, and the players mm-hmm. can go wherever you want. But if there is crucial information, then treat it in this way. Say, whatever decision the players make, I am going to make it the right decision so that they get this information. You know, mm-hmm. you just make it happen. Just kind of for a moment, for the sake of the players having a clear picture of what's going on in the world, just discard that internal logic that you've applied to your game. Just break it, put on the cheat code for a little bit. <laughs> um, and just and just move information around to where it needs to be. Yeah. So so just just to be you know doubly clear, I'm a huge. Uh, I, I hate single points of failure. So this was never this was never like critical like oh, good. you know roll to hear that the lich is doing this. Oh well, I guess you don't know why you're here anymore. <laughs> it, never never. I hate I hate that stuff. <laughs> is it is a particular bugbear of mine. Um, this is more yeah just like. Just something to make them feel a bit more, you know, meet like something. The stakes are maybe higher than they are just imagining at the moment because the stakes are just there. There are stakes, I guess, but half of them probably. Like, I don't. There's a, there's a bit of a question mark in that thought bubble at the moment, and I just need to help at least pencil in the thought bubble. So, and another option is to change the stakes to the something that the players do care about, rather mm-hmm. than trying to make them care about the things that the, the stakes are. They don't. They don't care about the world, do they? Who, but if you go, if they have a particular NPC that they care about, you know, or mm. if they have a particular character or item or place in their backstory that, that the player actually cares about, dude, hey, attack that. Um, and then they will care. Mm. And then they will probably more actively pursue the information. Um, and then you'll, when they're actually looking for the information, it's a lot easier for you to put those breadcrumbs in front of them. And when I give this kind of advice, by the way, I know, I know this is me talking to you about your campaign in this moment, but I'm giving this as general yeah. advice, you know what I mean? I think that you should do, yeah, Dan, yeah. whatever the hell you want, and I'm sure it'll be the correct <laughs> answer. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, no, that, I mean, the, you know, Pareto, like 80% of advice is probably good enough for, you know, most campaigns kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm fairly happy with that, and... I'm lucky that also next session is going to be predominantly combat. So that's given me another breathing room to actually think about story stuff for <laughs> another, another two weeks. Let's move on then to the other half of today's discussion then. So that the, the meta pressure of kind of the mental space of the players and the and the dm so if we start with the low-hanging fruit of the dm so do you find maybe maybe you don't but certainly i, I feel like newer players either put themselves under pressure yeah probably put themselves under pressure to to be a performer to you know like oh god i have to provide this media for these people that are 
at least paying with their time, if not money in some instances, to consume this dramatic vehicle that I'm putting in front of them. Do you think, you know, that's justified or, or unfounded? Well, I, I will say that there some people do feel that kind of pressure because they've kind of blown up the importance of the pageantry that's in D&D. Like, it's mm. pretty... Dude, it is... Pre- the Satanic Paddock had one thing right. This game is super-duper culty. you got the crazy cubes that you have to roll. <laughs> Back in my day, Yahtzee, they're all yeah. cubes. You know, you've got triangles in there. What is this? Demons? Um, <laughs> and everyone's speaking in stupid voices. And then, like, you see videos of people, like, LARPing, right? And you think that's D&D. And you see them in all of their mm. costumes. And there's really obscure rules. Like, it is... That is a lot of pressure. It's super strange. So, one way that I try and alleviate that at my table for the players is my game does not have the disavowal of it being a game because some people run D and D like this is an epic adventure, a great story that you're going to remember forever at my table. Look, it's a game. And the the reason that we're there is because we're playing with people that we want to hang out with. It's an excuse to hang out with. And mm-hmm. if, if the game actually got in the way of me and my mates hanging out, then I, I wouldn't do it. I would just go to the pub with them or something, you know? Yeah. And I'd like to think that when my players go, oh, cool, we got we got a game on Saturday, what they're thinking is, oh, good, I get to see my friends, you know? And that's not very intimidating to me. But from my perspective, mm. I only play, like, with my friends that, that I've gone, I want to hang out with you. I don't play with strangers mm-hmm. um, and I don't play the game for the sake of the game. Some people do, and I can't mm-hmm. help those people. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's I'm I'm quite similar. Um, I mean, although I do like kind of the high fantasy adventure side of things, but I I, I have not played with with strangers yet, which can only be a, a vastly different experience. I can only think because it must be you know you, you're approaching that event for a completely different reason, right? Because you're not hanging out with your friends anymore. You're engaging in role play with abject strangers, so. Uh, there you go. There's some homework for the pair of us then, uh, perhaps. <laughs> Play with strangers. No, I refuse. <laughs> I'll fail this class. Uh, so I, I felt like there's a. I, I watched a. Um, you know, you heard of the comedian uh, Bo Burnham? Yeah, tall guy, big old, big old boy. Yeah, one, one of the um, one of his earlier stuff. He, he's doing this song, and it's about he, he morphs it into he's talking about his relationship with the audience and he's like i love you but i hate you because i feel like i have to give you the make you have the value for money because you've come here to see me perform and i kind of hate you for that pressure Mm. you're putting me under but i love you because you're here to see me and that that kind of dynamic i think can be sometimes the same for for the dm like as i was saying earlier on like when i am getting ready to dm you know I'll, i'll rock up to my computer you know 15 minutes ahead of time i'm making sure all the all the all the dominoes are in place, you know, Discord's up, my, my virtual tabletop's up, I've got my music mm-hmm. candle on to get me in the mood. And that that is a lot of like a ritual, cult ritual to harken <laughs> back to what you were talking about. Um, and now, now I feel like I need a, a hooded cloak as well. Otherwise, it's just, why would I bother? Uh, <laughs> dude, 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 dude. How cool would it be if everything that they said in the satanic panic was like, huh, oh, they were right. No, oh, they actually got it right. This is super evil. What are we doing? <laughs> We've just painted it up in this like family-friendly talk show format for today. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, going go back to that Bo Burnham thing that yep. you, were, you were saying, I I feel that kind of specific. I don't know if you feel this with your podcast at all, 
But with my yeah. YouTube channel, I definitely feel that kind of pressure. Like the most comments, yeah. and this isn't about D and D anymore. This little bit, but um, most comments I get are overwhelmingly positive. And sometimes, like I'll show my wife and be like, "Check what this person said. This is the nicest thing that anybody's ever said to me." Like they leave. I work really hard on these videos and people say really nice things and it's super gratifying, but like maybe one of the hundred is just like a perfectly crafted personal attack just to, to get into some crack that I didn't know was there. And it's the kind of thing where like, I'll be out shopping and I get a notification, every comment, I get a notification on my phone and I look at it on my phone. I'm like, Oh, what the heck? Oh, what? No. And I tell you what, those negative Mm. comments, I think about them for a lot longer than I think about the positive comments, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really it's really troubling. And sometimes when I find myself going, I've got to make this a good video, I've got to make this as best as I can, I've got to make sure the production's good, I've got to make sure I don't say anything stupid, mm-hmm. you know? I'm doing all this prep work to try and make it, make it good. I'm not putting myself under that pressure for the people that are going, hey, Matt, great, great video, I loved it. That was so funny, great, we love that. We use that information mm. in, our, in our session and it worked out great. I'm doing it for the person that goes, hey, your fingernails are way too long. I'm like, okay, shit, I've got to cut my fingernails. <laughs> uh, I've got to moisturize because I don't want to look like an idiot. On, um, And it's, it's that's the only word is kind of toxic, right? And I'm not saying yeah. it's like I have massive toxic comments. I'm just saying that toxic comments are more potent. And to bring this back to D&D, mm-hmm. if you ever got negative feedback on your D&D game from a player... I reckon that would be crushing. I reckon that would be more mm. crushing than any kind of positive feedback you got from your players. Have you? Ever, I don't want to bring up old demons, and you don't have to go into this. But have you ever gotten negative feedback from a player that was that was about something that about that you did, right? Mm. Uh, nothing that was like Danilo. I'm going to take you aside and say that combat was garbage. Like no, no, nothing to <laughs> to be to to that extreme. The closest I've got is I ran a survey this is how like pedantic and formal I am, but I, I put like a survey monkey together um, for the players, maybe like two chapters, two arcs in, you know, like 20 sessions or so to be like, how's it going? You know, here are the three pillars, you know, what pillars do you want to see more of? What pillars do you want to see less of? How, how's combat going too fast, too slow, you know, too boring. Are you enjoying the story? Who's your favorite NPCs? Obviously to drive mm-hmm. data out the back of that, to be like, okay, they are like NPCs who are dickheads. Okay, I guess you'll see more dickhead NPCs, um, that kind of stuff. So there was obviously a lid of like every so often there was you know one or two of the responses was like combat takes too long, which is you know in the grand scheme of things not even really criticism. I should just be really thankful that they were willing to, to even say that. So I, I've been exceptionally lucky, or perhaps exceptionally talented, and I'm inclined to go with the latter. Uh, that. <laughs> uh that uh, i haven't uh yeah had any crushing criticism no mm. okay well that's that's good that's good i haven't either but sometimes like i dread it in the sense that like i want my players to have fun right and i'm constantly running calculations in my head uh, at the start of a session be like is this working good are they having fun is this good is are they having fun what can i do should i engage up you know what i mean i'm trying to get yeah. them on board But what usually happens in a session, as far as pressure, is this is something that happens when I public speak as well. It's happening right now. Is that I black out. Like, I don't, I just lose the moment. And Mm -hmm. it gets to this point where I couldn't tell you what I said. 
but I could tell you what, what I talked about because after a while of speaking, you just get into the zone. And that's how I feel about D&D. One, th- one thing that's helped me mm. is that I chase that feeling now. I used to try and be really prepared and I thought that that was what was going to help me um, not feel any pressure yeah. about running a good game for my mates. I thought if I'm prepared and I've got an answer for every question or every mm-hmm. situation that could come up, you know, they're going to be so impressed and they're going to, they're going to love it. And what I was doing was just putting myself through the ringer, like waking up at maybe 6 a.m. for a uh, 10 o'clock session or something, right? And I'd be like, okay, double check my notes. Um, I'm going to write a custom piece of music for this little bit. And just uh, not necessarily over-preparing, but being overly crafty or overly Mm. invested and putting way too much of myself into it. And I found that no matter how much work I put into it, after half an hour, after a beer, and I'm standing up, I get blood flowing, adrenaline, and like the battle music's on. I just go into autopilot mode anyway, and mm-hmm. anything that I prepared, I have I haven't even looked at my notes yeah. at all, right? Yeah, like do, does that any of that re- resonate with you? That kind of autopilot feeling of like not using the stuff you prepared because you can just yeah yeah feel it. I don't know. Wing it. Yeah, yeah, no, abs- absolutely. I think I think what you described there is kind of you're, you're kind of exchanging one type of pressure for another type of pressure because if you've made all that material and stuff then you feel pressure to use it almost so you're kind of putting yourself under a different kind to be like oh well i've made this stuff so it'd be a waste if i didn't use it and oh the players are gonna like it blah blah, blah. so that opens up a whole other can of you might think you're closing a can of worms but in reality you're just opening the tin from the other side um the other end i, I will say i don't see the blackout space and like look Hey, Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm in the blackout space. My name's Matty P. Um, I've got to think of a better name for this stupid cognitive (laughs) cognitive zone. Yeah. Um, I don't see that as a negative. I see that that as just where I kind of live and where I I thrive. Like it's something that's in my skill set. And so now I chase it. And it's also helped to recognize that I'm surrounded by friends and they're, Mm -hmm. they're super supportive. And this is something that's kind of led into my style of, playing with an open open book. Can I, can yeah. I tell a story? Do I have time for a story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just get my egg, I'll just get my egg timer out. Uh. Okay. Oh, no. Jeez, this egg is getting obliterated. It's a 10-minute timer. Um, no, so I ran a, um, like a homebrew campaign where I was trying really hard to make it into a really satisfying story. I did campaign diaries about this one, and it did have a satisfying ending mm-hmm. but it was a lot of labor and then after that i went I'll, i don't really have the energy to do another big campaign like this uh how about we just do like a silly halloween one shot right and so i just sent the players the stat blocks for skeletons and i said all right everybody's a skeleton and the you live in a haunted mansion on the hill it's halloween you have to go down into the town and collect scares so that you can get enough magic to keep yourself animated for the rest of um, the rest of the year or whatever. And like your necromancer daddy mm-hmm. sends it, sends you down there. <laughs> um, and I didn't really have anything planned for this at all. I just, I just gave them that premise and I asked them, what do you guys want to do? And they were like, well, what's there? What's in the town? I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to be in the town? Someone goes, Oh, can we go to a, like a school? Should we go, go to the school? I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. So we'll go to the school. And they all like, they all have special abilities. One skeleton we decided, um, I thought of this on the spot as well. I was like, um, (laughs) 
you each get a superpower. What do you want? One of them goes, I'm super strong. Uh, and the other one goes, okay, I can collapse into a pile of bones and then reanimate. Another one goes, yeah. I can, I've got spring legs, like springy skeleton jump legs. So we can jump really high. And the last one goes, I'm not a skeleton. I'm a zombie. And I have beautiful mm-hmm. eyes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's good. Let's do this. And so using all their superpowers, they, they went into this school and started scaring people. And every time they scared someone, I was like, okay, you're going to have to roll an intimidation check and to see if you collect mm. a scream for this person. And what happened was because I told the players, I was open with them, guys, this is a blank slate. They started coming to me with ideas for stuff and the way, with ideas about the way NPCs would react or ideas about like, oh, what's in this room? And suddenly, like, there wasn't any pressure on me because mm. it was like the Guardians of the Galaxy holding the Power Stone or whatever. And we were all we were yeah. all doing it, you know what I mean? We were all sharing the load. Yeah. At the end of that campaign, I did seed one threat. I said, in town, you've got to be careful because the Onyx Paladin is, ta- is in town um, and he might come and smite you, right? And this guy, I styled him as a Paladin, like a Sikh Paladin, like with the massive okay. turban and stuff. Um, he was yeah. really cool. He was really cool. Um, and it ended with a combat with him outside the mansion. Um, they And they they fought him. Uh, the guy with beautiful eyes died, and it's just the three skeletons left. And they've only collected one scream. So the, the, the necromancer comes out and says, Oh, my children, I've only got enough power to keep one of you alive. Um, who, who are you going to choose to, to survive? Um and I thought that they were going to all sacrifice themselves so that they could bring their friend back with beautiful eyes. Yeah. Uh, but they go, um, okay, we combine into one giant mecha skeleton and we just get him to keep us alive in this form. I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's beautiful. In order for this spell to work, and they, they do this, they combine into mecha skeleton. In order for this to work, you're all <laughs> going to have to say simultaneously, make me a real boy, daddy. Say it. <laughs> I mean, them all say it. <laughs> uh, it was crazy but like i couldn't have planned that session you know i unlocked something by just improving it and i couldn't have improved mm-hmm. it without asking my players to like help share the load you know what i mean and i didn't yeah. feel stressed at all going into that because i went into it knowing i had nothing um i didn't feel stressed at all to come up with anything during the session because they were all helping me you know um that's how i feel that pressure as a dungeon master yeah you, you've kind of really distilled the dungeon master's role into like just a facilitator there and it's like the purest form of just like i'm here to join you on this journey rather than lead you through this journey which is a really kind of nice way of enjoying the game with your friends which which is the reason you're at the table as you mentioned but i i definitely also enter enter into the zone and the the double-edged sword is that and i've noticed this both for myself as a dm and when i've been a player is that obviously in more kind of traditional or typical sessions, the DM is maybe a bit more a bit more of a leader and a bit more kind of active. Well, I always find myself active pretty much from beginning to end. Either your NPCs, you're thinking about roles, or you're while they're role playing, you're rapidly trying to web some other thing together that's gonna to happen after it. So what I mean is like even in the last, you know, say we're playing until like eleven o'clock at night and we've got work tomorrow, even like ten to eleven, I'm I'm buzzing, I'm wired to the gills. And it took me a good few sessions to of that, especially when we were playing in person, to be like, no, the players are like fucking knackered and they want to go home and they want to go to bed because they're not active, like super active like the DM is all the time. 
and they, they, they have maybe half an hour of just, I know they're invested in the story, but it's, it's a different kind of mental exercise that they're doing. I've been there as a player. I've been like, mm. the DM I can see is super enthusiastic, which is great, but like this, I'm reaching my end of my kind of my social energy and I need to start to <laughs> wind it down. And it's very mm. much like when I'm in the zone, I have to remind myself and be like, hey, just because you're like firing on all cylinders right now and, and are buzzing and going at story, plan, combat, actions, sound, music, everything's going, move the map. Some people are like, I work 10 hours today and I want to go to bed with my partner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I I was going to say, oh, I haven't run into that problem. Dude, I probably have, and I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think especially when you get into, like, in, in person, it's more noticeable. And then also, maybe, like, with your friends and stuff, you know them a bit better. You know when they're looking a bit, you know, you're reaching the end of, of you know, there's... Mm. I don't know how people play, you know, when you see online people, people are like, oh, yeah, I did a 12-hour session or something. I'm like, fuck, man, no, no, oh, fuck, I could not. Yeah. I could not. That's a pretty strange, strange new form of torture. <laughs> You're going to make me play D&D for 12 hours? I have three to three and a half hours max as my attention span. Mm-hmm. I can barely yeah. watch a movie without getting up and walking away halfway through. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I know obviously the other the other delicate balance is everybody's attention spans are different. So you're trying to balance doubly so as a DM, not only your own, but also the person whose attention spans one hour versus the person who could who could go for 12 hours and uh trying to find the middle ground is where i think some of the nuance and expertise comes from could could i ask you when you do feel pressure when you do go like okay this is an important moment we're about to do in this game i've got to make sure i get it right either as a dungeon master or as a player yeah how do you alleviate that kind of stress do you have a way or do you just kind of grit through it oh that's a tricky question um it's okay if you don't have a way um, I think most people don't. That's that's how you get adults. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably do. I've just never been, uh, you know, I've never really thought about it, thought about it critically before. Um, so uh, <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of like a couple of the big highlight moments, like boss battles and stuff. Usually it is just, I hate to say it because I'm going back on it a little bit, but like that planning of and preparation a little bit. I guess the bigger moments I will invest a little bit more time in, but most kind of regular mm. sessions i will try to adopt that middle ground like you, you know there'll be a bit of prep but i'm not it's not you know controlling my life it's not dominating my life it doesn't change my lifestyle it's just part of the enjoyment is a, a moderate amount of prep and then for the bigger the the the, the showcase mm. the showpiece moments i will invest a little bit more time on because you know it's not just your payoff it's six players in my case is payoff and you want to yeah here's we're gonna we're gonna loop this nicely with that initial statement of I'm putting myself under a little bit more, you know, self-imposed pressure in that case. Look, that's fair enough. Like, because when you feel stressed about something, when, like if I'm having a bad time at work mm-hmm. or if I'm like worried about something coming up with like, there's a phone call, like for an interview or something that I'm dreading or something, I just go, look, that's okay. That just means that I care about it. Right. Yes. And there's, there's a point where that's, where that's fine. And there's a point where that's not fine a little bit further on. Mm -hmm. I suppose the trick is just being able to tell the difference, like be a little bit introspective and, and ask yourself like, look, am I okay? You know, am I, am I okay with this? Am I having fun in this game with the amount of work that I'm putting into it? And if the answer is no, like it's totally okay to, 
um, on a macro level, take a break for a couple of weeks and go, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to get ahead on my prep work and all this kind of stuff, or, or I'm just not going to think about it. Or even in the session, say, maybe you play through a curveball and you don't feel like you have a satisfying answer. You can say, hey, guys, mm-hmm. I know it's two hours early. Let's wrap up a little bit early because I'm not sure how to, how to process this. I want to give you guys a satisfying answer. So let's take a break and just play Smash Brothers and mm-hmm. have beers instead. And yeah. your players are there to hang out with you. And like they'll probably be down for that in my experience. Um, yep. Unless your players hate you. If you're playing a Dungeons and Dragons game with six play- people that hate you, man, you must be <laughs> on the set of Crank because that sounds a- a- adrenalizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I- <laughs> I'm just imagining this nightmare situation now. But no, I-, I completely agree. Like, I don't think there's any players out there that at least should be like, well, no, I've. I've cleared my books for this evening and you're giving me four hours. So you're giving me four hours. Like they don't deserve <laughs> to be in your game anyway at that point. So <laughs> screw them. <laughs> yeah. Why did you invite like Duke Stuffingworth <laughs> to your D and D game? I came here to play Dungeons and Dragons. I've told the old man that I'd be here from six until 10. And I shan't <laughs> leave before then. I will have you beheaded. <laughs> Dragons and dungeons. I shall have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly well okay uh is there is there anything you wanted to talk about that we might not have discussed yet mate i think we talked about too much like where we got in here we got we got crank (laughs) we got our hand walking script disease we got we got the um the obliterating 10 minute egg timer we got um the make me a real boy daddy necromancer and then somehow we brought in crank (laughs) again like honestly cut everything cut it all <laughs> it's 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 poetic in a way uh <laughs> my bar for poetry is very low <laughs> <laughs> good good well uh i think all that's left from me is to say thank you very 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 much for your time matt oh mate hey well hey thanks for having me is there anything you would like to plug i'll put on my youtuber voice what's up podcast family <laughs> it's your boy <laughs> Uh, no, hey, my name's Matthew Perkins. I have a YouTube channel. That's my main kind of thing, right? I'm not the biggest YouTuber um, I'm in the sense that I'm not very tall, uh, but I also don't have that many subscribers. There are plenty of bigger channels, but oh, mate, I've got a lot of heart. I've got a lot of heart out there. I'm making jokes. I'm making Dungeons & Dragons guides to help players, Dungeons & Dragons guides to help, um, to help Dungeon Masters as well. The perspective that I usually approach this kind of thing from is that I've got a a bachelor of creative writing, right? So I'm always chasing that good narrative juice. I'm not your crunchy dungeon master. I'm your your good storytelling friend. And I just want to have a good time. I want to help you to have a good time. So all of my stuff is over at matthewperkins.net. That's going to have a link to my YouTube, to my Twitter. Um, I've been trying to stream a bit on Twitch recently, which I'll tell you what, that's a lot of terrifying pressure when it's like, okay, I'm trying to manage this streaming desk <laughs> and there's music happening. There's a green screen. So if I go invisible, does that mean I die? How does this work? What's this, mo- this movie magic? Um, that's <laughs> terrifying. So if you want to see me under pressure and see me enter into that blackout space, oh, go to matthewperkins.net. Check me out on Twitch as well. <laughs> but dude, hey, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. It has been a heck of a lot of fun. And I just want to say for, for the listeners, I said it to Matt before we started recording, and I'll, I'll repeat it again on, on record, is that I, I have checked out Matt's YouTube and I was thoroughly impressed uh, and I enjoyed every moment of it. The production values were, were, were great. So I, I would recommend Matt's stuff for sure. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. That was a, 
uh, went to places as often it does to that I didn't yeah. think it would go to, but I'm very grateful for that journey. <laughs> yeah. Can I, um, I don't know if you have like a set thing you say to end the podcast. Can I throw us out? Can I, mm-hmm. can I do it? Is it time for me to say whatever like catchphrase is? Yeah. So, so no- normally I say like links in the description. Thank you everybody for listening and good night. Uh, but I am please. This is I'm I'm, I'm yeah. living on the on the edge of my seat. So no, go ahead. Everybody, thanks for listening to my thinking critically podcast. Um, it's been I've been great having Dan here with me. Uh, so links in the description. <laughs> uh, everybody follow every everybody click everything down there. And uh, from Dan and me, we we both love you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to use that. <laughs> I'm absolutely going to. Uh...